The left's blue wave becomes a blue tidy bowl flush down the commode. Up next on the Adrian Slade Show. The presidential motorcade was just passed through heavy crowds in downtown Dallas. Destroying the media lies and dismantling the narratives. One story at a time. It's the Adrian Slade Show. With the absolutely stunning self-neutering by the GOP-led Congress who couldn't repeal eight pounds of dog feces in a two-pound bag that's been rejected by the majority of the American electorate, which even upon its proposal caused a wave of anti-establishment newcomers to politics to advance into Congress and even caused the stomping of 500,000 strong on the White House lawn in 2010 in a clean and cordial manner, I might add. You'd think that the GOP control over Congress would be in complete jeopardy And even after being inept in attempting to win that cakewalk, you know, just repealing Obamacare would have been fine. That would have been enough. But they couldn't do that, unfortunately. So they had to follow it up by steamrolling us with their double-decker omnibus. They threw us under the omnibus. And that alone should have had voters showing up to the polls with nails in their hands for the coffins, ready for everyone that had an R by their name. And the sugar on top of this ladle filled with syrupy epicac is the fact that after getting nothing done, they're talking about recess. Yeah, go ahead and take a break, you know. While you're on break, don't do anything. Kick those feet up, you know. Take a load off. Like Paul Ryan, remember when he was uh, looking to be the Speaker of the House? Well, I don't work on the weekends. Everybody's working for the weekend, you know. It's unbelievable. People do absolutely nothing. They've shrugged off their responsibilities onto the executive branch for making treaties in the form of Iran deals and for uh, passing uh, immigration uh, legislation in the form of uh, executive memos done by the Obama administration. I mean, that's basically what they've done. They've done nothing. So it should be, you know... No problem, even though now I've heard that there's talk of them not taking a recess. And the Lizard King himself, or as I call, Franklin the Tortoise, because my son, you know, my youngest son watches Franklin, and Mitch McConnell kind of looks like Franklin. I don't know if you've ever seen that on the Nickelodeon channel, but supposedly Mitch McConnell is suggesting this. Wow, it's amazing. I hope they actually take Mitch up on this idea, because they need a freaking record. Give us something. I mean, something to chew on. Now, the Democrats should be singing their way to victory. And what's that I hear? I think I hear Keith Ellison crooning as we speak. I'm a nice, honest man. I just want straight shooting. If I want to be called a stable genius, I just call my best friend Vlad Putin. Vlad Putin, my buddy Vladimir Putin, Vladimir Putin, I love that Vladimir Putin, but there was no collusion, I just won the vote fair and square, I didn't buy the election, I just bought off my latest affair. Robert Mueller, I hate that Robert Mueller, I'm firing Robert Mueller, I'm firing Robert Mueller, 
Good Lord, that was an oral assault on my ear holes. Hashtag me too for my ears. And what, what was that? Was that Keith Ellison? Or was that Wesley Willis? I wear Batman's ass. I wear Batman's ass. I wear Batman's ass. I wear Batman's ass. Batman thought he was bad. He was a real stupid jerk. He was a real asshole. He got knocked to the floor by me. I whoop Batman's ass. I whoop Batman's ass. I whoop Batman's ass. I whoop Batman's ass. That's right, Keith. You should have finished it up with Rock Over London, Rock On Chicago. But the polling suggests that Democrats aren't even going to even bend the needle for this blue wave that they think they have coming. I think it's going to be more of a uh, blue tidy bowl flush down the commode. From the Daily Wire, a new poll released from a left-leaning news publication showed that Democrats are paying dearly for their disastrous week where they lied about President Trump's comments regarding violent MS-13 gang members. The Reuters poll revealed that the double-digit lead that the Democrats held over Republicans last month in generic ballot voting for the 2018 midterms among registered voters is now completely gone as Republicans have opened up a six-point lead over the Democrats. Amazing! The poll for the week ending on May 20th shows Republicans at 40.7% with Democrats falling down to 34.5%. This is the first time Republicans have taken the lead in a Reuters poll in approximately a year. Recent polls have shown that Republicans could win up to nine seats in the Senate and that millennials are leaving the Democrat Party in droves. And we're going to talk about why that is here in a minute. Town Hall goes further. A new CBS poll shows yet another uptick in America's economic optimism, with 64 percent of the voters describing the U.S. economy as being very or somewhat good, and even more, 68% giving partial or a great deal of credit to the president. That same survey of likely voters also measured a variant of the generic congressional ballot, confirming that the still-tightening trajectory of that election year metric. CBS poll 45% of likely voters prefer Democrats win this year, while 43% favor Republicans. But that was back then. It's not a pure generic ballot question, but it's close. The same poll now shows 68% crediting Donald Trump somewhat or a great deal for the economy. And it's now up six points for the GOP in general. Color me a bit skeptical, but these numbers will bounce around regardless. But Republicans haven't led on this question in any major uh you know, polling in roughly two years. So it's worth flagging. You know what? All Democrats have to do is stay sane. Is I mean, is that even possible? I mean, look at Ted Lieu. Ted Lieu was talking about this uh, polling phenomenon and he contradicts himself. One minute he likes it, next minute he hates it. You know, he's forgainst it. He said back in, uh, you know, December, I think, yeah, December 20th, I learned a new word today, mega tsunami. As in the 18-point lead Democrats have in the generic ballot point to a Democrat mega tsunami next November. Then he puts out a tweet the other day where he says, In the Kentucky House primary in the 6th uh, Congressional District tonight, 
There were 100,418 Democrats who voted and only 48,373 Republicans. Do folks still think the national generic ballot means anything? (laughs) It's the individual districts that matter. And in those districts, Democrats are crushing it. And someone replied, does Ted Lieu realize the Republican candidate in the uh, Kentucky uh, congressional district ran unopposed? (laughs) And there was a contested primary with lots of money spent on the Democrat side. Also, the GOP won 202,000 votes in 2016 during the general versus 128,000 for the Democrats. So, yeah, that's kind of a bit uh, concerning. And then you post that up against what we saw in, um, I think it's in Investors Business Daily just today, um, where there is a story out that says household income at its highest. Unbelievable. Yeah, household income completely at its highest levels. And that is going to fall right into what's going on with the new sentiment towards the Republicans. I mean, like I said, all Democrats have to do is stay sane. I don't even think they could pull that off. I mean, we've seen that. You know, they haven't been able to do so since the election and the inauguration. I mean, when the first thing you do is organize marches, which are centered around Aunt Eunice's wool-knitted vagina skull caps, something ain't right. That's not normal to walk around with hoo-hahs on your noggins. And then you follow it up with the March for Science that has nothing to do with Bunsen burners and lab coats and has more to do with insane ramblings and uh, lack of science-based genders and, uh, you know, atheism. And, I mean, listen to this moron who spoke at the March for Science. Hello, my name is Dr. Jessica Ware, and I'm here representing Rutgers University, Newark, and I'm a member of the Entomological Society of America. I'm an evolutionary biologist and an entomologist. Evolution, yeah, evolution. Evolutionary biology and entomology, which is the study of insects, are disciplines for everyone. I'm a single mom to two children. I'm a black female punk rocker with an LGBT family. My son and my identical twin are transgender, and I belong here. I belong in science. I'm part of a global community of entomologists and evolutionary biologists. The study of insects is by definition international, global, and collaborative. Insects don't see borders, and they can cross walls. The the Entomological Society of America is the largest insect science organization in the world, and we seek to improve the lives of the world's citizens by promoting biological diversity and developing safer food production. We're working to save pollinators while limiting pests and vectors of disease. We need to fund integrated pest management, which is an aspect of entomology that ensures food safety for humanity. Entomology is a vital science, and we seek to unravel past and current patterns of biodiversity and mediate threats to human health, like Zika, malaria, dengue, yellow fever, and chikungunya. Evolutionary biologists seek to understand which species are found where and why, and we need to continue to fund evolutionary study through the maintenance and growth of natural history collections and museums, through funding field expeditions to go out and describe new species before they go extinct. We must teach our children to understand evolution. We must teach them to appreciate and love insects and arachnids. They are (laughs) are truly fascinating forms of life. 
They are always interesting, sometimes ugly, sometimes beautiful, but never boring. Thank you. Basically, they're running completely on their hatred for Donald Trump. They spent so much time and energy building him into a caricature, one that is not deserving of any constitutional rights, such as the Fourth Amendment rights of illegal search and seizure by a bureaucratic political counterintelligence operation to spy on him and his campaign while he was a private citizen running for office. Yeah, he doesn't need to have those. If you wanted to run for office, you wouldn't be afforded those constitutional rights, would you? But they've made him into a caricature that we can just beat up, you know, and I'm not even a Trump supporter. But I'm just saying what I'm watching is they've propped him up as somebody who doesn't seem human. And they've done that through the media. But that's their goal. But that's not a platform. You can't run on, I hate that guy. While he's cutting taxes and people have more pay, you know, while the economy grows, businesses are coming back and, you know, we find out household income is at its highest, you will lose every time. Like James Carville said, it's the economy, stupid. That was their mantra, and they've completely forgotten it now. In fact, the other party platform they're running on is to repeal the tax cuts, which are providing all of this pure insanity. Listen to Nancy Pelosi. It said that you would like to institute a single-payer health care program and cancel, raise taxes. I think they mean roll back the tax cuts that they passed this year. Is that... What do you think of that? Well, the true? second part there is accurate. <laughs> I do think that we should re- uh, revisit a tax legislation in the way that we always have, in a bipartisan, transparent way, uh, that the result is unifying for the country. I do object to what they did in the dark of night and speed of light to put forth something that uh, uh, gives 83% of the benefits to the top 1%. 86 million middle-income families will pay more taxes in the life of this bill, even though they call it a middle-class bill. Gives a uh, 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 trillion and a half dollars worth of tax cuts uh, to corporate America, adding over $2 trillion to the national debt because of the interest on that money. Uh, and part of that benefit to corporate America is to give them a benefit to create jobs overseas rather than here. The list goes on. So their core platform is, I hate Trump. And though repeal of tax cuts are just an outgrowth of that stance, you know, that, that's where the, the whole thing comes from. A lot of the things that they're reactionary about are just because they hate Trump. I mean, this puts them on the defense and makes them reactionary. And that's always a bad position to be in. Every time he says something, does something, the left... And the media overreact, and then they side with insane bedfellows or put out stupid false narratives, and suddenly out of nowhere, the dove of truth descends and completely wipes out their entire narrative. The outrage bomb that they built explodes in their face. Lather, rinse, repeat. I mean, think about it. Remember what happened with, um, you know, CNN, the CNN meme. Donald Trump tweets out, uh, retweets uh, somebody with the CNN logo in a wrestling match getting beat down. The left goes insane. They say, oh, he's trying to take away the First Amendment free right of press. And they think he's shutting down the press. And, you know, Donald Trump's calling him fake news. And the, the left is having a conniption. And then what happens? Ah, Project Veritas puts out a video. Shows how they are cultivating fake news in their studios. It's amazing. MS-13 are animals, you know. Oh, the left and the media gaslight that contorted into immigrants are animals. And the journalists and politicians on the left start talking about how 
even as awful as MS-13 are, they're still human beings. Or they say, you know, I'd rather my daughter date a member of MS-13 than a Republican. And then we watch them actively siding with drug cartels that rape, behead people, and extract hearts from innocent individuals all because they hate Trump. And America sits back, watches, and takes note. And then a story comes out that one of the MS-13 gang members was actually named Animal as a nickname. I kid you not. They did this with Trump moving the embassy to Israel in Jerusalem. It makes such an impact that Iran sends their terror proxies, you know, Hamas, to the border to attack Israel. And the left starts gaslighting, building false narratives about how they're, well, now they're just protesters and they're unarmed. After Hamas themselves stated it was their terror faction that was at the border. And those being interviewed were talking about how they love sending swastika parachutes armed with bombs across the border. Again, the narrative was shot. Credibility died. All for their, not only for their hatred for Israel, but for their hatred of Trump. So on the other side of the break, I want to get into some of the internal infighting. The civil war that's going on with the... Democrat Party and also with the lack of messaging and the total inability to even recognize what is really happening with their party and some of the stupid ideas they think can fix the Democrat messaging. Back in a moment. This is Adrian Slade. The Adrian Slade Broadcast. Welcome back. So to recap, the left over their hatred for Trump, because that's their platform, have decided that they're going to side with uh, MS-13. They're going to side with Hamas. They're going to side now with the North Koreans, because North Korea, that whole summit failed, which we knew it was going to do. I mean, there was we listened to the Chinese uh, appropriation podcast that we did, where we talked about how the Koreans secretly met Two times with the Chinese president. I wonder what that was all about. You know, I think it was a pressure move on military operations and military war games exercises that maybe China and North Korea wanted to find a way to put a stop to. So because the summit falls apart, North Korea is now siding with the left and the left is propping them up against Donald Trump because that's what they do. You know, I mean, it's always the narrative and then the freak out or, you know, that's always something Trump does, the freak out, the narrative, and then the explosion in their face. You know, it's, it's almost like this Twitter blocking First Amendment rights BS. They're basically a judge in New York is basically saying that because Donald Trump's Twitter account blocks people, that that's a violation of the First Amendment rights, which is complete garbage. Because, I mean, first off, you could read his tweets without an account and you can perfectly see every last one of them. You don't need to uh, go on and harass the guy to get blocked and think that you can never see them again. Because you can always go to another computer and Google his Twitter account and read his statements. I had somebody online the other day basically said, oh, well, you know. He's putting press releases as tweets, and if he's using his tweets as a press release uh, forum, then, then yeah, First Amendment rights are violated. Well, no, you can read it from anywhere. It's just if you're going to sit there and harass the guy and he's going to block you, 
There's no violation of the First Amendment. There's nothing that says if a press release is given, every person across the globe has to provide a rebuttal and he has to read them all and respond to them. Because that's what it is. If, if Twitter's going to be a private organization, right? If they're going to be a private organization, if they're going to shadow ban people, including myself, which I've been the recipient of, if they are going to limit our scope and our voice on their platform, if they're going to suspend friends of mine, well, then they can't have that standard applied because it is a private business. It is a forum that you can go to. But, you know, is is Twitter shadow banning people and suspending people? Is that good customer service? I don't think so. I think it's a stupid idea. And if something were to come along to be competitive, it would fall. You know, Twitter would fall on its face. But no one's violating anyone's First Amendment rights if the president decides he wants to block you, even from his own personal account that it was before he became president. I mean, I'm blocked by Debbie Wasserman Schultz. <laughs> She's not going to unblock me. See, it's the caricature thing. You know, it's the caricature thing. Basically, we have made Donald Trump, the media is what I'm talking about. The media has made Donald Trump into a caricature. So he doesn't get the right to exercise and operate Twitter the way everyone else does. He's the only one because he's a GOP president, first and foremost. You know, I guess the founders could have never foreseen a time where social media platforms with blocking functionality would have ever existed, eh? I mean, muskets anyone? Do you remember that? Because that's all, you know, they're all for the First Amendment to be stretched out over crucifixes and urine jars and, and penthouse porn magazines but the, and blocking of Twitter, but yet they can't take the Second Amendment at its freaking word. And in fact, what's even more amazing on a side note here before I get into the collapse of the Democrat Party right now, the Baltimore Post had a story that just came out about Sandy Hook. Two days after Sandy Hook, Rahm Emanuel and the Secretary of Education had a little exchange. And this is from the article. During a roughly 10-minute period, the native Chicagoans um, exchanged seven messages two days following the massacre. These kids' graves weren't even made. They weren't even, the funerals hadn't happened. The bodies were still somewhat warm. In which... Mayor Emanuel, who had previously served as President Barack Obama's chief of staff, advised Secretary Duncan on what the position uh, he should take on the Sandy Hook shootings. At 6.57 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on December 12, uh, 16, 2012, Duncan wrote to Emanuel in a message titled CT Shootings or, you know, Connecticut Shootings. Duncan asked the Chicago mayor, what are your thoughts? Five minutes later, Emanuel responded, Go for a vote this week before it fades. Tap people's emotion. Make it simple assault weapons. Duncan responded immediately. Yep, thanks. It was just two days after the shooting when they collaborated on this message. And so they went a little further. They said, um, you know, when, when you're trying to um, ban assault weapons, do it the way Clinton did it. Make it always simple. Criminals or war weapons. There's that weapons of war BS. Emmanuel said that in an email to Duncan. Gun show loophole? Another lie. It's like the tax hole or tax loopholes. There's no tax loopholes. There's deductions, allowable deductions and expenses and things like that. But anyways, Duncan responded, database, cop killer bullets, too complicated, he said. 
Cop killer, maybe, Emmanuel responded. The other, no. The exchange ended when Duncan concluded with, got it. Two days after the Sandy Hook massacre, the former education secretary and the sitting mayor of Chicago were already discussing a national strategy. So, I mean, we're going to watch them basically disregard every letter of the law of the Second Amendment and watch them go after the First Amendment, all for their hatred for Trump. That's right. That's how they do it. And yeah, Congress has done some things on the GOP side, you know, that have been somewhat, you know, I, I can't bag on them too much. You know, the Dodd-Frank being, being stripped down and the experimental drug deal, you know, the tax cuts. These are good things, but there's some big ticket items that would have really pushed the Republicans over the edge that they just didn't utilize. And that's my problem. You know, they could have easily swept in to an easy victory that way in the midterms. But they may not even have to worry about that because the Democrats are killing themselves. I mean, it's unbelievable what they're doing. I mean, so what are some of the things that Democrats think are impacting their movement? Well, Keith Ellison believes, I mean, he's a Muslim Brotherhood guy, by the way, Nation of Islam guy. Keith Ellison believes it's Bible studies in jail. Seriously. I, I, I got the impression that, uh, that, that, you know, maybe Democrats could possibly uh, have an advantage with folks in this area who mm -hmm. might vote for us. Not true. We're going to have to fight for that vote like we do every other vote because I learned that a lot of Republicans will go to um, uh, jails and do Bible studies and other things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mr. Ellison, it's not as though a lot of people don't find themselves you know, following Islam or Buddhism in jail. I mean, there's quite a bit of that going on. Go, go watch some episodes of Oz and see how they depict it, because that happened quite a bit. But anyways, yeah, it's the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for people in jail who want to become Republicans, because apparently Keith Ellison believes that studying the Bible in jail makes you a Republican, gives, gives the conservatives a leg up. Now, I'm not going to lie, the Democrats do take a godless approach many times, so maybe he's got something there. Maybe if we teach that there is no God, then uh, they'll all become Democrats. And if the economy continues to move the president's favorability needle higher, it's going to make it, it threats like Mr. Al Green, Texas Democrat who has vowed that should his party take back the House after the upcoming midterm elections, that President Trump be impeached. Quote, there's a good likelihood there um, that there will be art articles of impeachment, Green said in a C-SPAN interview. Signaling a growing civil war amongst Democrats, Green hinted that anybody within its party can bring forth articles of impeachment without any blessing from leadership. Quote, here is a point that I think is salient and one that ought to be referenced, he said. Every member of the House is accorded the opportunity to bring up impeachment. This is not something the Constitution has bestowed upon leadership. It's something that every member has the right and privilege of doing. So that'll work out swimmingly because even when Bill Clinton's uh, approval numbers rose over his impeachment in the House, an economic boom that, you know, wasn't his doing, you can attribute that to the technology boom of the 90s, the inter Internet boom, you know, coupled with Newt Gingrich's con uh, Congress contract with America where they actually passed a balanced budget that elevated his approval numbers because with that going on, impeachment was happening. And I guess people were looking at it like, why are you impeaching this guy when he's got things working in his favor?
But I mean, at least with Clinton, there were some type of grounds to base it off of. So try that with the economic recovery and some crazed, contrived theory of Russian collusion. When the real scandal is this Watergate on crack bureaucratic espionage by the opposition party using foreign intelligence operations to launder information and placing moles in the campaign to create dirt to use against them later. I mean, I'm not getting into the nuts and bolts of that because there are too many moving parts and too many voices out there with better access to more solid information to make that case. Just go listen to Dan Bongino. Just knowing that it's happening, though, and but it's not being reported is the amazing part. And what's also not being reported is what is the political insider piece that I read about Al Green, what they've discussed, the civil war within the Democrat Party, because he knows it's growing, and it is. I mean, it's amazing. New developments um, on that issue show a lack of organization and motivation within the revolutionary Democratic Socialist wing of the party, trying to clinch the reins of control. The Bernie bros, the Bernie wings. You know, you can see it with the yin and yang with the media. First, Politico comes out with a story that says Bernie Sanders' top operatives formed our revolution after he lost the 2016 primaries to keep his army organized and motivated. And our revolution is an organization that they put together, um, and they're hoping that he potentially prepares for another presidential run in 2020. But an extensive review of the Sanders-inspired group depicts an organization in disarray, operating primarily as a promotional vehicle for its leader, and sometimes even snubbing candidates aligned with Sanders. Our revolution has shown no ability to tip a major Democratic election in its favor, despite possessing Sanders' email list, the envy of the Democrat Party, and can claim no major wins in 2018 as its own. The result has left many Sanders reporters disillusioned, feeling that the group was supposed to harness the senator's grassroots movement and it's failing in its mission. The problems have also fueled doubts about Sanders' organizational ability heading into 2020, even after his out-of-nowhere-near-March to nomination two years ago. Critics of the Vermont Independent have been worried he'd have a juggernaut-in-waiting to fuel a second presidential campaign, but that anxiety has faded after watching our revolution over the past year and a half. Jane Khalib, the group's treasurer, was quoted as saying, our revolution is going through some growing pains. Creating a grassroots organization is different from running a presidential campaign. The group writes on its website, quote, the next step for Bernie Sanders' movement is our revolution, and uses his name, quotations, and photos in its material under a logo of colors and fonts that Sanders used in his 2016 campaign. But Sanders, who is legally separated from our revolution, does not keep up with its day-to-day activities and has expressed discomfort with attacks by affiliates of Our Revolution against some politicians. Among the findings of Politico's examination of Our Revolution, based on interviews with two dozen sources inside the organization and on the outside, board members and Sanders presidential delegates from 2016 have raised questions about the group's president, Nina Turner, and whether or not she is using her position to prepare for a presidential run of her own and to settle scores with the Democrat National Committee from 2016. Not long ago, the group's board of directors nixed Turner's attempt to install her political, her personal political consultant and friend as her chief of staff, even though the person had no experience in political organizing and had praised Donald Trump repeatedly and attacked immigrants on Fox News. Month, uh, monthly online fundraising totals have plummeted to just one-third of the group's 
uh, take a year ago based on an analysis of processing fees reported to the IRS by ActBlue, the, the tool Our Revolution uses, and verified by several people familiar with its finances. Amid poor fundraising, Our Revolution earlier this month filed paperwork to launch a PAC so Sanders can ra- uh, help it raise money directly and so the group can coordinate directly with campaigns. A founding board member resigned last month saying Our Revolution wasn't paying adequate attention to Latino candidates and issues of importance to Latinos. It's pretty amazing. One early warning sign came in Virginia's governor's race, last year's marquee election. Our Revolution endorsed former Representative Tom Perillo in the Democrat primary and offered to send two fundraising emails on behalf of Sanders' uh, massive email list. Officials assured the campaign uh, that the emails would be uh, would net between 150,000 and 300,000, according to Perillo's aides. But weeks went by before the emails were sent out, and when they were. The total com- uh, combined haul was 50000 according to the aides. Another aide later provided documentation showing the first email raids, uh, raised 74000 still well below projections. But Perilio lost the primary against uh, centrist Ralph Northam, which that begs to be argued, but being a Virginian here, who went on to win the general election. Our, general, or our revolution declined to comment. It also sat out of Doug Jones' uh, Senate win in Alabama, and Connor Lamb's triumphant uh, win in Western Pennsylvania's congressional district that Trump carried by 20 points. And in Nebraska, Kara Eastman, who was backed broadly by progressives, upset former centrist Brad Ashford in a House primary. Our revolution skipped that election as well. But that's the Politico piece. But listen to this, because it seems as though there were many that feel that was uh, a statement of fake news. From Common Dreams, breaking news for the progressive community. This is what they wrote. Politico ran a piece on Bernie Sanders' foundation, Our Revolution, tiled Bernie's army in disarray and a preconceived yet uh, inevitable narrative that Sanders' movement is somehow ineffective and failing. Among one of the most reaching pieces of evidence cited by Politico is claiming New York Governor Andrew Cuomo was snubbed in Our Revolution endorsement pieces omitting the vast political record of Cuomo's that is entirely antagonistic towards progressive causes and everything our revolution and Bernie Sanders is predicated upon. Under Cuomo, New York's um, legislative government has been paralyzed by the Independent Democrat uh, Conference, a group of rogue Democrats who joined with Senate Republicans to grant them political control in exchange for perks. Cuomo has fundraised for the conference and enabled its existence. Really, that no surprise there. Our revolution in, uh, endorsed Cynthia Nixon, the progressive primary challenger to Cuomo. Yet Politico claimed an aide to her opponent, Democratic Governor Andrew Cuomo, who last year was joined by Sanders at an event promoting a state initiative on the senator's uh, signature issue of free college, said his campaign knew nothing of the process and learned of the endorsement from a press release. One appearance with Bernie Sanders doesn't make Cuomo remotely a progressive or a supporter of our revolution's cause, nor does Politico acknowledge the enthusiasm or campaign behind Cynthia Nixon's uh, primary challenge to Cuomo from the left. So obviously they're not happy, but then Politico, I mean, they're a partisan hack organization too. So could it be that the Democrat National Committee is using Politico to bash the other side of the, you know, of the fight in the 
civil war within the Democrat Party, the anti-establishment, progressive purification that's trying to be attempted. You know, we had something like this happen before on the GOP side, especially during the Trump campaign. The Tea Party wing was to bring people in and basically snipe out rhinos, get fresh blood in there that have an understanding of limited government and move that ball forward. And a lot of people hijacked that message. We had a you know senator here or a representative here that did that. Quite a few people did. You know, they ran around, oh yeah, I'm a Tea Party guy, knowing nothing about the Tea Party, using it as a, a way to sweep themselves into victory. So you got rhinos hiding under that. And that's what happened with Trump. That's why Trump came about, because that party was hijacked. And then Trump people, people that backed Trump, wanted that real change to happen that we didn't get in the Tea Party wing. So they got somebody that would just bash the system completely. And yeah, he bashed the system on the GOP side. But that war with the establishment, it, it was there all along. The problem is Trump is now doing some things that are bringing the people that he pushed away because of his brashness and the way he handled some of his uh, core con- uh, conservative rivals, such as Ted Cruz and Rand Paul and Scott Walker. Those people are, sta- are now seeing the fruits of some of the things we never thought we would see under a President Trump. And so it's kind of galvanizing that movement Whereas the Bernie side of the Democrat Party in that war is only flaring up and could be a bigger issue in the midterms, especially when you hear about this story with BuzzFeed, because they kind of go in a little further on what really happened between those on our revolution and the Democrat National Committee from BuzzFeed. While Sanders works inside the system, his political uh, group on the outside, is suddenly rallying progressives against an old enemy, the DNC. Nina Turner, our revolution president, does not have good things to say. Quote, they tried to seduce us with donuts and water. Dictatorial, arrogant, pompous, superficial, tone deaf, tone dead, out of line, insulting, absolutely insulting. These are some words that Nina Turner, president of the group founded by Bernie Sanders to uh, further his political revolution, used to interview or used in an interview, to describe the Democrat National Committee. The grievances converge around a recent trip to deliver petitions to the party's headquarters in D.C., where Turner and other progressives were greeted by barricades, security guards, and an offering of donuts and water. That's your Democrat Party right there. Superdelegates will shove you out of the way if you're moving in there, and then they're going to you know, humor you with some donuts and water as they put the big barricade out there from the Democrat National Convention so that nobody can get too close to the stage near uh, Grand Mal uh, Hillary Clinton, queen of the Democrat movement. But anyways, going back to the article, um, she saw it as an empty gesture indicative of an institution that isn't, quote, smart enough, humble enough to say, let's just take a step back and listen to the people. One that's too uh, far or far too willing to disregard people and to dismiss, belittle, shun them and push them aside. All of which has left Turner with the view, as she puts it, that, quote, the establishment side of the Democrat Party have shown themselves to be dictators. Wow, really? Democrats want to have full control? Who would have thought? Who would have thunk it? And want to dictate the terms of unity. Yep. In the months since last year's long and fraught Democrat primary, Sanders and allies like Representative Keith Ellison have become key partners 
in that same establishment side, working from new leadership roles in the U.S. Senate and the DNC. If Sanders wants to change the system from within, Turner's approach at Our Revolution looks to be the opposite. After taking over last month, she's taken the same institutional forces that are allied with Sanders, rallying supporters against the familiar target of the DNC, and offering a candid, at times, cutting critique of the party and its center of powers, marking a newly aggressive posture towards the Democrat Party that puts Our Revolution out in front of its own figurehead. Quote, it's time to make the DNC... Feel the burn again, Turner wrote in an email. Our revolution members received this back a few weeks ago. The DNC may think that they can continue to work from behind closed doors, but they will know different when millions of us come knocking. And that email recounted a uh, July 25th visit to the DNC headquarters. When they arrived, she said barricades uh, blocked the entrance of the steps and a handful of DNC staffers stood outside waiting. I was absolutely stunned, Turner said. For them to be that tone deaf, that arrogant, to think it's okay to put up a barrier so that people can't even, I mean, we're not even good enough to stand in their stairs. <laughs> it's amazing. Citing the current political climate in D.C., spokesperson um, Shongchi Hanjosa said the barricades are put there in that place to, you know, anytime there's a large crowd. Protocol is set by the building security team, she said, not party officials. A spread of donuts and water had also been set up for our revolution. Turner took particular issue with the donuts and water, which she called handout trinkets. They tried to seduce us with donuts and water, she said. They're pompous, arrogant enough to say that to the people, you're not good enough to be on our property. Oh, and by the way, we're just going to hand you some donuts and water over the barricade. That's insulting. Absolutely insulting. And to cap all this off, After mismanagement of the party under Barack Obama and selling the party to the Clinton Foundation as a financial bailout, their party now has the worst fundraising since 2006 from the town hall. It seems the Democrat Party's fundraising slump continues, even as Election Day draws closer. Polling shows that Democrat enthusiasm has stalled, though last, you know, Tuesday's primary showed that the far left dominated, booting more uh, centrist candidates Um, that the establishment backed. While a lot of things should be going on for the Democrats, the opposing party in the White House, history favoring the minority party in an off-year election, all of that is left, is in the left's hatred, unhinged hatred for Trump, that intensity hasn't translated into filling the war chest for the Democrat National Committee. And they just had their worst fundraising month in April in a midterm year since 2006. As of right now, the DNC only has $3.4 million in cash on hand compared to the $43.8 million the Republican National Committee has tucked away. Raising money has been a serial failure for the DNC, and it's not just their April numbers. November of 2017, they fired their top fundraiser for assuring journalists at the uh, Christian Science Monitor breakfast um, that month that all was well with the DNC. Chair Tom Perez even said that. The January numbers were also trash. The depth of their misery. They tried to bury an FEC report during President Trump's first State of the Union. It didn't go unnoticed. The committee has been purged and repurged of staff members in efforts to reboot the committee. I mean, it's amazing. Look at this from the Wall Street Journal. This is an example of the fights that happened within the party on the primaries the other week. Texas Democrats gave National Party leaders 
the nominees they wanted in a pivotal House runoff election on Tuesday, including one in a bitter contest that pitted the party's establishment against its progressive activist wing. In Houston, Lizzie Pinnell Fletcher, a lawyer favored by the Democrat establishment, defeated Laura Moser, a progressive activist who pushed for a bolder party strategy. At stake in that primary was the chance to run against GOP Representative John Culbertson, a top Democrat target because Hillary Clinton narrowly won that district in 2016. The DCCC had used its muscle to sideline Ms. Moser because party leaders believed she would be a weak general election candidate because of her controversial writings. The DCCC tried to undercut Ms. Moser before the District 7 candidate primary in March by releasing opposition research about potentially controversial writings of hers. But the tactic boomeranged on the party, giving Ms. Moser a fundraising boost and propelling her to the runoff election. In West Texas, Democrat voters picked former Air Force intelligence officer Gina Ortiz-Jones, which they ran around saying, yes, go Latino Ortiz, until they found out she wasn't Latino. So that's how stupid they are. But anyways, who was also backed by the party establishment over Vermont Uh, over an acolyte of Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders. In Dallas, DCCC backed Colin Allred, a former NFL player, and easily beat his opponent, a businesswoman. But in Kentucky, an underdog political novice, former Marine fighter pilot Amy McGrath, defeated Lexington Mayor Jim Gray, who had been uh, recruited by the DCC to run against her in the primary. The choice in that uh, race reflected a broader debate among Democrats uh, between the party establishment and its more progressive activist wing in the midterm campaign. Insiders argue Ms. Fletcher's approach will appeal to independents and disaffected Republicans with a centrist message. Liberal activists say the party should try to do a better job of mobilizing core supporters and inspiring new voters to show up with a bold liberal message, as Moser advocates. So basically what we're seeing is the DNC has the same problem that the Republicans had during the actual elections where, you know, the, the core tenets of whatever progressivism is was similar to what the core tenets of what conservatism was and what the party represented. The party was out of touch with conservatism and tried to shut down any purity that wanted to seep in and take over for the good of the people that backed it. Same thing's happening on the other side. Only what's happening now is Donald Trump is giving conservatives things that they asked for. So sniping rhinos in the congressional side, it's something that needs to be done, but there's not this growing rift. If, if Donald Trump was giving us everything that the rhinos wanted and we were still left out in the cold with nothing, there would be a problem. We would have the same issue, but that's not happening. And even though Congress is doing nothing and putting themselves at risk, the Democrats just acting insane and dealing with their civil war are not going to be a force to be reckoned with. And the blue wave that they were talking about is going to be a tidy, tidy bowl flush down the commode. I'm Adrian Slade. Thanks for tuning in. You can check out my podcast, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Spreaker, iHeart, TuneIn. You can also find me on the Roku streaming channels. I have a free Roku streaming uh, channel on the streaming store. And also, subscribe, donate, patreon.com slash Adrian Slade Show. You pick the amount. You can also become a subscriber monthly for $2 a month, and you'll get some extras. We'll see you guys next time.